Welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite players from Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, James Sue. This is the show that explores the power of mindset and what drives my guests to be at their very best. Some of the brightest minds in magic, from Jerry Thompson to John Finkel, share their unique perspectives right here. It's a fantastic journey, and I hope that you'll come along for the ride. My guest today is AJ Kerrigan. Chances are you may have seen AJ burst onto the magic scene a few years ago, playing Storm Combo on the Star City Games circuit. He certainly had a share of successes playing with people over twice his age, but there's so much more to AJ than meets the eye. In the years since, AJ has experienced and matured a lot. It's hard to believe sometimes that he's only 20 years old. AJ has learned so many valuable lessons as a magic player, a judge, and content creator. I recently caught up with AJ to talk about all the things that he's learned over the years. I was fortunate to get a glimpse inside his mind and came out of it very, very impressed. Please enjoy this conversation with AJ Kerrigan. AJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm super happy to be on and I really appreciate this opportunity. How are things going lately in your life? Awesome. Yeah, I just got a new job, a full-time offer right out of school. I've been playing a ton of magic, which is always awesome. I'm in a super great relationship. Everything I'd say is really great right now. and I'm super fortunate about that. How did you start playing magic? What events led to you picking up magic for the first time? So when I was really young, probably around three or four years old, I was reading at a really advanced level and I really enjoyed playing games, not really video games, but like board game type things. So I believe it was my mom ended up finding some cards for Yu-Gi-Oh! And we started playing that game when I was maybe, I don't know, four years old or so. And then I had a close family friend who ran a game store not too far from where I lived. And so... I started around when I was seven or eight going to that game store to play Yu-Gi-Oh! every week. And I, I love doing that. I made some good friends that way. And slowly, just I guess over the next few years, I stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh! because I didn't love the game as much and it wasn't as popular at my store. I tried a bunch of other games. I played various tabletop games. I tried other card games, pretty much every card game you could think of. I probably played at some point. And then around when I was 10 or 11 years old is when I found Magic. And I pretty much instantly fell in love with it and knew that out of all the games I had played in the six years I had been playing various games, uh, it was definitely my favorite and the thing I was most interested in. And I loved the people that I was playing with at that game store. Uh, so from there, I just started playing Magic a lot. And then pretty quickly after that, I'd say probably about a year after that, I started going to Magic tournaments. Like um, I went to States and then I started going to SCG Opens. And I just found that I loved the competitive scene and I would travel with all my friends and that was just a great time and it was a really good outlet outside of school for doing a competitive thing. I played baseball too, but baseball was only a few times a year, like during specific seasons. So I was really looking for something that I could be competitive on the weekends when baseball wasn't in session and that's sort of where magic filled in. I'd love to unpack that a little bit. So first, going back to your earliest years, you said that it was your mother who introduced you to Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Did she know that you were into gaming? Like basically, 
were you a gamer for as long back as you could remember, even at three or four years old? Absolutely, yeah. I've been playing games pretty much the, as far as my memory goes back. There's been some game in my life that I've always been playing, and I think my mom definitely recognized that too. She saw that um, even before I had started getting into card games like Yu-Gi-Oh, she just saw that I was really interested in things like board games, like even the simple board games back then, like Shoots and Ladders. I just loved playing those types of games, and I was always really interested in them. And I think that's where she saw that interest came from. Uh, so she found the cards or I found them, whatever the case is, and she got them for me. And then I took a super quick liking to reading the cards, learning how to use them. I loved learning the rules of the games. Uh, that was something that I think was very different from me and my other like really young friends at the time was they also got into Yu-Gi-Oh, but they kind of just like looking at the art in the cards or playing with their own rules. And to me, it was like, I really wanted to know the rules of the game and how to play. And I wanted to try to get good at it. And I think with Yu-Gi-Oh specifically, I never succeeded in getting good at it, but I definitely enjoyed playing it. So would you say that when you look back on those years, in fact, it's probably even hard to recall everything because I'm trying to remember what I can't remember what it was like when I was that young. But when you were getting into Yu-Gi-Oh, you said that you were not just looking at the cards, you were actually thinking about the gameplay and things like that. Were you trying to be competitive and actually trying to win the games and trying to optimize for winning even at as far back as that time? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wasn't very good at it when I was really young, but I loved trying to understand games from a perspective of trying to win at them, not just trying to play them. Uh, I think that's something that's always like been a distinct part of my life is I like playing games to try to win them. I What's fun about, like, I don't mind losing a game, but what I find fun in a game is that I tried to win or that I gave it my best and that I really put an effort and I think that's always been the case for things I've done, like the same thing with any sport I've always played, is for me, I've never found just like the the process of playing to be fun. It's the process of optimizing and trying to be the best I can at it and trying to work really hard. Uh, that's what I've always found interesting for as long as I can remember that I've been playing these games. That's really interesting. And would you say that it's nature or nurture? Like, do you think that there was some influence that maybe your environment or your family had on you being more competitive than perhaps some of the other kids or or do you think that was just sort of innate yeah so i think it would it started out as innate i just took even before it was necessarily pushed on me i definitely took an interest in approaching problems and games and situations in that sense and i think definitely um, my parents would attest to that but i think nurture was also a really big part of it in the sense that my parents very quickly recognized that and cultivated that. So they always encouraged me to try to be the best at what I did and always encouraged me to try to think at things um, from a very like optimization, logical standpoint, especially my dad, he was very big on, even when I was very young, if I would say something or present a point or ask a question, he would always encourage me to think a lot more deeply about it. And I think that transitioned over into my interest in trying to do the same thing in games and it really cultivated that for me. Can you tell me a little bit about your parents, like maybe their occupations, what they did and what it was like socializing with them as you were growing up? Yeah, sure. So my mom has worked various odd jobs as she's grown up. Um, she worked for a long time as a dispatcher for like a tow truck company. She does kind of like a lot of uh, assistant or clerk type work. And I think with her specifically, I've always been the closest with her just because of my living situation, which I'll explain in a second. But I've always been really close with her. And I've always, I, I think for a long time in my life, I was definitely a bit of a mama's boy. Just, um, we were always very close. And even though I think my mom didn't always understand what my interests were or wasn't always perfectly like 
understanding of what I was trying to do. She was always incredibly supportive of trying to push me to be the best version of myself because I think she's always seen a lot of potential in me. And I think even times where she didn't understand exactly what I was trying to do, she understood that I wanted to be great at it. And she always pushed me to realize that if I do set my mind to something, I'll be great at it. So I think I've always had a very a naturally good relationship with her just because of the way she encourages me and the way she pushed me. I think with my dad, it was a little bit different because um, my dad's always been a big part of my life and always been super supportive, but he didn't live with me. So it created a very interesting dynamic in that I only saw him for you know bursts at a time as opposed to coming home to him every day. So he didn't get as much of like a deep um, version of me as my mom might have who sees me all the time. He saw secondhand sort of the things I was trying to do, the things I was trying to be good at, the type of person I was. And so that created a very interesting dynamic where he tried to sort of maximize, at least in my view, I don't know if he would say the same thing, but from the way I saw it was he always tried to maximize when we had time together, try to maximize the encouragement he could give me and pushing me to be the, a better version of myself. Because my dad, he uh, he works as a master plumber in New York. So what that means is he's basically gotten the, one of the highest possible licenses you can get as a plumber, which takes a lot of time of studying and practice. And I think that sort of dedication to his craft is something he wanted to instill in me as well. He wanted me, whatever I set my mind to, he had no preference. He wanted me to dedicate myself to it and be the best I could at it because he had, at least in his life, tried, whether he had failed or succeeded, always tried to, I think, achieve the highest standards for himself as well. And what's your what's the relationship like now with your dad? Yeah, I think uh, we still have a really great relationship. I think with me moving to college, it has been a little bit tougher for us to see each other as often, but he still comes to everything I do anytime I present a research paper that I've been working on or anytime I have my graduation, any major events. He's always making sure to take time off to come to them. He always puts in the effort to be a very active part of my life. And he never stopped being sort of the same really supportive, but also very challenging and thought-provoking person. And so I really, I think, admire that about him because I know, at least from what I see, it's difficult because he lives an hour and a half to two hours away and he deals with a lot of health issues. And so to make that constant travel to support me and see me and also just try to be an active participant in my life despite working long hours. He, I think I really admire that about him. And I think we have a really great relationship as a result. That's great. Had you always been the youngest person in the gaming store or is it, or did you play with people roughly the same age as you? No, it was almost always, except for my one friend who I would go to the store with most of the time, but he wasn't as into it as I was. I was always playing with people significantly older than me. I think maybe like the youngest person who I actively hung out with and played the game with was maybe seven or eight years older than me. So I think it's always been, and I think that's been a big influence on my life is it's always been that I've been spending time with and playing these games with people who are much older than me. And it's really interesting now to have both now that I'm an adult sort of, and they're all adults too, we have very interesting perspectives and we can maybe relate a little bit more. And also seeing all these younger people who are coming in and knowing that to them, I'm in the same position um, that my friends were when I was a lot younger. And so it's really interesting. But yeah, I've always been playing with people who are much older than me. Did you ever have any shyness issues or did you feel intimidated playing with older players? Because I'm just thinking from my life, that had been sort of something that I was initially very tentative about when I walked into gaming stores for the first time. Obviously, everybody's different, but I'm curious if that ever crossed your mind at all. 
I really don't think so, only because I started going to the store when I was so young that it was sort of just natural. I didn't go, I went there from when I was like six or seven years old. So it was just a natural process that I saw these people almost as like my older brothers in a lot of cases, and I just felt very comfortable with them. I actually think it had sort of the reverse effect that I started to become a little bit more uncomfortable or a little bit more shy around people my own age because I had become so accustomed to spending so much time with people older than me who talked to me in very specific ways and uh, interacted with me in very specific ways that in dealing with people my age who might be more similar to me or might deal with me in different ways than these older people actually became a lot more, a lot less common to me and as a result, maybe a little bit more difficult. You seem to be advanced at an early age in terms of your, maybe your abilities in school. So were you also, did you also skip a couple of grades and did you graduate from from high school and elementary school earlier than most other people? So I actually, until high school, I went through everything at a pretty normal pace. I would occasionally take, I would skip like, I skipped algebra and took geometry a year early, um, things like that. But for the most part, I followed the traditional path. And a big part of that was because I went to a very small school and I had sort of, on the same token that it was very difficult for me to get along with people my age, I had become very acclimated to the small group of people I was going to school with. And so the idea of like, oh, I'm going to skip a grade and have to make a whole new set of friends that I'm very uncomfortable with and might have a difficult time dealing with, that was always something that was very intimidating to me. So I never wanted to consider that. And even when my mom would sort of bring up the subject of, do we want to consider moving to a different school that's more advanced or do we want to skip a grade? I was always very um, reticent to those kind of ideas because I was very intimidated by sort of meeting new people my age or close in my age. And so... For elementary school and middle school, I didn't follow that path. But then in high school, once I had gotten a little bit older and a little bit better at socializing and I think sort of the gap between like me and my peers in terms of how comfortable I was with them had closed a little bit, I was willing to move and I ended up going to a high school where I received uh, a two-year college degree with my high school education. So I actually graduated. That has enabled me to now graduate college early because I came into college with a ton of extra credits. But I think just in general throughout my life, um, I have always been better, at least in school, than I think a lot of the peers I went to school with. And I think part of the reason for that was that the school system I grew up in before I went before I moved to a new school for high school, it was very, I think, not a great school system, particularly in terms of both encouraging the kids who showed potential to be even better and encouraging the kids who were not as great to sort of catch up and help them. It didn't have a lot of those resources. And so there was this gap where I felt like I was very ahead in school and I was very fortunate to have very supportive parents who encouraged me to be great at school and to study past what I was learning in class. Whereas almost everyone else in my schools, they did not have a similar experience either because they didn't have the supportive parents or the school did not have the resources to help them. And so I think that sort of also created some weird divide where I felt like I was maybe ahead of my peers and wasn't as great at having conversations with them for that reason. And so that was a skill that I needed to learn over time was how to socialize with people um, where the main thing that ties us together is school. But when it comes to school, we're sort of on different wavelengths. Yeah, that must have been quite challenging because you probably, just the way you describe it, it just feels like you're probably more advanced intellectually than a lot of people your age. And so it can be hard to relate to them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, like I think intellectually, like at least in terms of 
like math and history and those kind of subjects. I was much further advanced, but I also think in a lot of ways, and this is something that I have a bunch of different reasons I think it might have happened, but I'm, I've never really been sure. But I just think in a lot of ways I was also a lot less mature than my peers in terms of social interactions and in terms of just like, you know, maturing as you grow up and become closer to teenagehood and then adulthood. I think I was behind on that. So I never really, I always, whatever the topic was, I was always on sort of a mismatch with my peers because I either wasn't as mature as them or I had a significantly different set of interests because I was one of the only people I knew who like was interested in playing games and doing those kind of things as opposed to sort of the traditional, I think, things that kids do where they like go outside and they play sports with each other or they like ride their bikes around town. I was never interested in those kind of activities. And so it really made it hard to fit in with my age group in a lot of ways. Did you guys have Yu-Gi-Oh! or magic stuff happening at the schools, like maybe during lunch break? Did you guys play games like that, or was it just something that you did outside of school? It was almost entirely something I did outside of school. I had one friend when I made it to like sixth grade who he became my friend, and as a result, I kind of introduced him to magic and we started playing, and so we would do that sometimes. Uh, but for the most part, uh, my magic life and my life with gaming has been entirely separate from my school life. Um, which comes with its own pros and cons. Like, it's nice to have something that's entirely separate that I can do. But on that same token, it meant that the things that I was doing and the things I was finding interesting in weren't the same as the peers I was going to school with, and so I didn't make friends that way. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you were at school, did you have any favorite teachers or subjects? Generally, the two are kind of related, right? If you have a good teacher, then you, you generally get more into a particular subject. But do any come to mind, either teachers or subjects or things that you studied? Yeah, so it's actually funny. I think for me, my favorite teachers and my favorite subjects are different because I always loved math. I think math, part of the reason I loved it was because I was just great at it. So it was easy. I didn't have to try that hard in class. And that was always, I think, for somebody who doesn't want to spend a lot of time in class, that was really nice. Um, so math has always been, I think, my favorite subject, followed closely by like history. Uh, but I think the best teachers I've had and the teachers that I liked the most were the ones who pushed me to work harder in the subjects that I didn't like as much. So like one of my favorite teachers, I can't even remember her name at this point, but she was my fourth grade English teacher. And she pushed me, she saw that I didn't necessarily love reading as much and that I wasn't as into reading nonfiction books or fiction books. So she really pushed me and gave me a lot of recommended things to read that she thought I would like and she really took extra time. Same thing I think with my fifth grade English teacher, he did a very similar thing where they pushed me when they saw that I had a lot of potential but wasn't necessarily using it because I didn't love the subject as much or it didn't come as naturally to me. So they were very big on encouraging me to, again, be the best version of myself, which was something that in my school system wasn't very present. A lot of the teachers, I think, were great people and really tried their best, but just given the resources available in the school, there wasn't a lot of chances for them to push all of the students to be their best. And so when I did have teachers like that, uh, it was definitely very noticed and very appreciated. That makes a lot of sense. It's often the early mentors or teachers that really set the stage for how you conduct yourself later on, right? Exactly, for sure. Like they... I think in a lot of ways, they might have shaped my educational future, but in more ways, I think they shaped my personal future because they showed me that I can have a lot of success if I try really hard and I set my mind to things. Like there was one teacher I had in third grade who she really liked a thing I had written for an assignment for her class. And instead of just like giving me an A and telling me like, oh, this is great, like a job, she 
loved it so much that she submitted it to some like uh, younger age writing journals because she wanted me to see like even if that would go anywhere or not or even if it was worthy or not she wanted me to see that she really believed in me and believed in the work I was submitting when I tried and she wanted to take that one step further and I think those kind of things are really influential just on my personal confidence and my personal feelings and my success. Yeah, that's really meaningful. It also opens you up to, wow, there's actually a world outside, you know, where it's not just in this school, but it's, you know, the rest of this area or rest of the country, right? I think that's really meaningful. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to get to the part where you're talking about magic, because you had said that you've been playing magic for at least competitively for about half your life since you were around 11 years old. So you have been playing magic casually. Tell me about how you made that transition from casual play to competitive play and maybe what some of the earliest competitive experience you had that you could remember. Sure, yeah. So I think um, casual play for me was always very interesting because even when I was playing casually for about, I feel, yeah, like I was always playing to win and I always wanted to, I wasn't always trying to build the best deck, but I always wanted to build a deck that I felt like could really compete. Like, the, one of the earliest memories I have when I started getting into Magic a little bit more was I had built this Allies deck back when, like, original Zendikar was released. And I went and I played my friend, and he was playing a deck that had just done really well at Worlds. It was called Turbo Fog, and he just crushed me. And, I like, I for a little while I felt like I was going to win the game, but then for a very extended period of time I just knew that I was completely dominated. And I just immediately, I was like, oh, tell me all about your deck. Like, I want to hear about it. And then sort of that naturally developed into... Um, wanting to always find out what the cool strategy or like the good strategies and how I could be winning more and how I could be optimizing it. Uh, even when I was still not playing at tournaments, when I had these decks, I was always like, well, what small choices can I be making to make the deck work even better? And very quickly, I think after a, a year or so, because a lot of the people I was playing with at this game store also played at least semi-competitively, it just made a lot of sense to start going to tournaments. And I, the first big tournament I ever attended was New Jersey State's which was held in this like old basement of a church, if I remember correctly. And I, I showed up late and I felt sad because I didn't think I'd be able to play the tournament. And my friends told, told me that all magic tournaments start a half hour late anyway, so it was fine. <laughs> yeah. And I was able to get in the tournament in time. And I was playing a deck that I had fallen in love with, which was the deck my friend beat me with, Turbo Fog. And I loved playing the deck. It just was super interesting, super cool, because I felt like it beat people on an axis that wasn't normal because the way it won the deck was by milling them out. And by any time they would attack you, you would play a card that prevented all the damage. So it was a very different way of playing Magic than I always felt like maybe was intended. And that was super interesting to me. So I started off pretty good. I think I started off like 3-0 or 3-1 or something like that. And I played against the person who had top four or one or something in the States the previous year. And we got quite the crowd because it was me, this kid who I, I believe I was 11 at the time. And I, I looked quite small for my age too, so I probably looked like I was like 7 or 8. And then this guy who was an established, at least in our area, an established Magic player with some amount of success. And I, I absolutely destroyed him. Like, it wasn't even close. Um, I think, like, I, it, I got kind of, like, for this random, like, round five in a States event, I got an applause for winning. Was it a matchup thing? Did you draw well? Or was it just, like, you were just a better player? I, I'm just asking uh, objectively. It was a matchup first. thing. I definitely was not better than him. But I, I, he was playing this, like, Bant Aggro deck that could just never beat Turbo Fog. Like, I think I could play terribly and still win very easily. And did you feel like did you feel like him or maybe the crowd was underestimating you because of your stature or because of your age difference? 
Yes, I I definitely think that at least for a little while, people very much underestimated me. Like in that same tournament, I played against a guy who was playing a matchup that was even easier for me. It was mono white aggro and that deck. Literally, like I could mulligan to two and I think I would win still pretty easily. Um, and, and this guy sits down against me, and again, I look like I'm seven or eight years old, and next door to the to the States event, there's a pre-release for Yu-Gi-Oh! going on, and the guy tells me when we sit down, he's like, if I lose to you, I think I might have to quit Magic, because he just assumed he was going to win, and I, I won in two games very quickly, very easily, and he slams his deck down, and his friend is standing there watching him, he slams his deck down, and he says, I quit, and he runs over to the, the Yu-Gi-Oh! pre-release next door and buys some packs. And his friend is confused. His friend's like, he just left his deck there. Like, he left his stuff there. So his friend starts, like, sheepishly, like, packing up his stuff. But I definitely felt like I was very much underestimated, at least because people, not so much in that people didn't think I was good at magic, but people just thought I would barely even know the rules because I just looked so young and, oh, how could a kid that age, like, care about the rules or be interested in learning them and really know what he's doing? And I think the fact that I had, even even if I wasn't great at Magic, because I definitely wasn't, even though the fact that I just had a basic proficiency and like I knew how to play my deck and that was it, I think impressed some people and caught some people off guard. Okay, so as you were going through that tournament, you beat one of the better players in the area, and then what happens after that? Yeah, so I end up, I think I played some bad matchups, played some good matchups. I don't think I played super well, so I lost a few more times. I think I ended up finishing, it was a... Uh, I believe it was a nine-round tournament, and I finished 5-3-1, and one, which I was super proud of. I might have been 4-4-1, four, four, but I was super proud of that I won at least half of my matches because it was um, a very surprising thing to me because I figured I knew I wasn't good, and I knew I'd be playing against a lot of people who have played a lot of Magic, so I knew going to this tournament, like, oh, I'm going to be way outclassed, but I'm going to have fun, and that's why I'm here. And so to get a record that was even, like, remotely serviceable I think was super exciting to me, and that's definitely what encouraged me to keep going to Magic tournaments because it told me like, oh, if I really set my mind to this, I think I could be really good at it or at least I could have a lot of fun while trying to be really good at it. And so that encouraged me to attend more events because I just had such a great time. So you were essentially hooked since that, ever since that first tournament. Exactly. Ever since that states about six months or a year after I started playing Magic casually, I've just always wanted to play competitively and I've always been hooked on the game and I knew it was what... At the very least, I knew it was what I wanted my hobby to be and what I wanted to dedicate a lot of time to. I am curious, though, what was running through your mind? How did you feel as you played in that very first event? Were you pretty even-steadied? Were you nervous? Like, what was going through your mind at that at that point? I actually think I was pretty even-steadied. I was having a lot of fun because when I went in, I wasn't expecting to win, so there were no nerves. Like, if I knew I would have had fun losing every match as long as I got to play Magic and got to experience this competitive event and talk to my friends between rounds. So I went into it knowing that whatever the result, I was going to have a great time. So I was fairly, I think, calm and collected, which I also think caught people off guard a little bit because I think they expected me to maybe be nervous or be intimidated. Uh, but something that's always been the case with Magic, at least for the first few years I played it, and now recently, I've always just been in it for the love of the game and for having a great time. And so regardless of whether I'm playing against the best player in the world, the worst player in the world, anyone in between, I'm just there to have a great time and enjoy playing Magic and do my best. And as long as I do my best, then I'm happy. That's amazing. It sounds like you're basically a natural-born competitive Magic player because for many players, even three times your age, they probably still struggle with that. That's really fascinating. It just I'm, I'm just commenting here, but it seemed like everything you had done up to that point prepared you for that 
moment in a way because you have been playing with people much older than you and you, you, you don't have the same nerves that people have when they typically start playing competitively, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I don't think that's necessarily always been true in my magic career. I think, and we could talk about this now or later, but I definitely think there have been times where my mindset wasn't right and I did start to get nervous and start to get upset if I lost and those uh, sort of feelings. But I think for the most part, my natural state is that I've always been very um, a natural competitor and that I'm not a sore loser and I at least try to not be a sore winner. Um, and I just I play for the love of the game and I play because I really enjoy it and I play because it's where my friends are, not because I feel sort of a sense that I need to win to be happy. Sure. And that's a perfect segue. I mean, we can definitely talk about that now because with magic, with your mindset, there's always kind of a light side and a dark side, right? So tell me about how from that first states tournament, how did you what happened to you in term in competitive magic like how did you how did you move forward because i know you started playing other formats as well so maybe give me a little bit of maybe start by giving me a little bit of a recap on how you continue to play competitively and maybe yeah let's just start from there yeah so i think it's easiest to break up my magic history into like three three distinct segments in a sense so from when I went to that States tournament, I started attending a lot more events. And I think um, now I think my relationship with Magic is that I play as much as I can and I love playing and I do it because it's where my friends are. But I think these distinct phases that I've had in my life are where that's not always the case. So when I first started playing competitively, I think probably a year and a half in, I got a feature match at Star City Games Tournament in Edison. And I got a feature match playing against this guy, James Rankowitz, and I was playing Legacy Storm, which everyone thought was an incredibly complex deck to play, especially for somebody my age. And so... By the way, that's the first time I saw you on yeah, anywhere. That was, it was that match. That's where most yeah. people remember me from. <laughs> I think it's not anymore, but I think for a while it was Star City Games' most viewed feature match on their YouTube channel, just because, or whatever the channel that it was hosted on, it was their most viewed... Uh, feature match because people just loved watching it and going back to it. And my friends always loved watching it. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I played in that feature match. I won that feature match. I ended up doing not great in the tournament, just doing okay. And then not long after that, one of my friends who I knew, um, knew the editor of Star City Games. And the editor of Star City Games was like, oh, you know that kid? I'm really interested in talking to him and um, maybe bringing him on as a writer because they just wanted to get like a new, maybe younger perspective and hear from me because they thought I seemed pretty good for my age and they really liked the way I played Storm. So they ended up getting in contact with him and writing for Star City Games. And that was a super great experience. And I think um, that was when I was playing a lot of Magic, probably not as much as I do right now, but that was like the second most amount of Magic I was ever playing because I was just loving going to tournaments. My mom was super supportive about um, giving me the money and the resources to be able to attend these events. Uh, even when it might have been difficult to do. And then I kept writing for Star City Games, but one of the problems I was running into when I was writing for Star City and when I was playing a lot was I started to develop this like sense of that I needed to win. So for maybe two or three years, that was never there. That was always like, well, I love playing Magic. Whether I win or lose, I'm going to have fun. I was doing a lot of losing, but I was still having a great time. What ended up happening was a lot of I would get a lot of negative comments on my articles. Some of the people who I thought were my friends but weren't actually my friends, they would like make comments about how I didn't deserve to be writing because I wasn't good enough. A lot of these things that made me sort of question 
my place in the community. And for somebody, I think my age, when I was like 13 or 14 at the time, these can be things that can be really tough to hear because one, I expect these people to be my friends or be supportive of me. And like, now I'm older, I know that people on the internet can be mean, but to see all these kind of like mean comments on my articles was also really difficult. So I started to feel like I needed to prove something to prove that I was good enough or to prove that I at least deserved to be in the position in the community I was. Because I was never claiming, like I never claimed, oh, I write for Star City because I'm great at magic. For me, it was always why well, I write for Star City Games because I'm an interesting personality or people like hearing from me or people like my article series. But now I felt like that wasn't the view other people had and so I had something to prove. And so at that time, magic, I think, became very difficult for me because I felt like I needed to win to prove something, but I was losing a lot. Like I was not very good. I wasn't learning a lot either because I felt like the individual results of any given tournament mattered. So I wasn't doing a lot to improve between tournaments or to take what I had learned from a given tournament and apply it in the next one. So I almost had like sort of, I think a tough relationship with magic where I was going to events to have fun, but then I was coming home from them upset. And then also right around that same time too, when I turned maybe 15 or 16, I we were running out of money to be able to send me to all these events. Like we just, I didn't grow up in like a high income family, so I didn't have money to constantly attend magic events. And so I started judging magic as well because I thought, well, this is a way I can stay a part of the community and sort of get money in order to help me keep attending events when I want to. And so my, in addition to feeling like I had to prove something, my time was also getting split between playing and judging. And as a result, I was just very unhappy, I think with magic because uh, a lot of the friends I thought I had I, I no longer really considered friends. Some of them I still did, and some of them are still some of my closest friends, but a lot of them I felt like weren't really my friends anymore. Um, I was no longer playing the game purely because I found it enjoyable. I was also no longer getting to play the game as much as I wanted or as much as I felt like I needed to. And so all these things combined, I think, led to me having sort of a very unhealthy relationship and an unhealthy mindset. And probably, I think, right around this... So that was sort of the second distinct period where I was very upset and I was not playing as much as I wanted and I wasn't feeling like I had a place in the community. And then I think the third distinct period for me is my senior year of high school, when I was like 16 or 17, I started traveling with a friend, uh, his name is Jonathan, and I started traveling with him a lot. Uh, and initially we weren't very good friends when we were a lot younger. We grew up in the same area, but we just didn't really get along that well for various reasons. And then we started traveling just because, well, I need to go to these events to judge them and you need to go because you want to play them. And because he was, uh, at the time, he played a ton of events. He was like a Star City Games grinder. Uh, so we started traveling a lot together and we found that we were really great friends. We really loved hanging out. And I think the combination of having a really good friend in the game, plus I think one of the things about Jonathan that's always been amazing is his mindset for the game. He's always been very good about understanding that it's all about improving. Like you don't deserve any results you get. Uh, no one in Magic deserves anything. It's all about just trying to be the best you can and improving yourself and enjoying that process. And so I think that also really helped. And then I also got a part-time job, which helped me not have to judge as much anymore so that I could focus a little bit more on playing. And I think all those things together helped me start to get in the right mindset of, okay, like I'm doing Magic because I enjoy it. I go to these tournaments because they're fun and because I want to get better at the game. And there's nothing I have to prove. And at that point, too, I had stopped writing for Star City just because my article quality had deteriorated and I felt like uh, my confidence had deteriorated. So I just wasn't writing articles as often. And so 
from there, I think I really started to get a much better mindset with magic because I had a really good friend. I had great opportunities. I was playing the game for the right reasons again, and I had somebody who encouraged me to try to improve. And then from that point, so I, I went to college, and now I, I've been in college for three years. And I think the last three years have really been where I've had the best mindset because one of the other things that really changed in addition to having Jonathan, and I also made some new great friends. Like I started becoming friends with some of Jonathan's closer friends. I made a, another person that I now consider one of my best friends, also Abe. Like These kind of people have really pushed me to enjoy the other parts of Magic a lot more. And now like I go to Magic tournaments for what I consider the right reasons. And then at the same time, too, I also met my girlfriend, who I'm still with. And in the, for the past three years that I've been in a relationship with her, something that she's always pushed me is to just be happy no matter the result. And that was something that my friends were trying to do and that I had always thought was appropriate and the way I wanted to approach Magic. And having somebody else who I knew, win or lose at this tournament, I'm going to come back and I'm going to have somebody who cares about me and is proud of me no matter the result. I think all those things combined has really helped me to improve my mindset. And I think now I have the most fun that I've ever had at Magic tournaments because I'm improving a lot because I have a good support group to help me improve. And I also care about improving. Um, I have a really great team of people to work with. I have a great support network for when things aren't going as well or when things are going really well. And I have, I think, sort of everything I would need. And I'm very fortunate. I consider myself very lucky because I have everything I would need to be a happy and a successful Magic player. And I think that's sort of helped me have a really great mindset when I go to these events. Yeah, and I'm really happy for you hearing all this because the support system is absolutely key. When you come back from a tournament and knowing that someone's there for you, whether it's a family member or a loved one or a girlfriend, boyfriend, like that, that means a lot. That that really means a lot because I, I do find from talking to all these different people in the interviews that generally, I guess that's a great irony of magic is when you make your life not all about magic that's actually when you have more success with magic if that makes sense exactly yeah like i think so one of the big things for me is when i started driving home from magic events or being in the car driving home from magic events and i would realize that despite the fact that i'm with my friends and despite the fact that i just spent a whole weekend with my hobby i'm driving back upset like that was that was when i knew that like things were not in a good place and so when I, when I was making that transition from judging as not judging as much and starting to play Magic again, one of the things that sticks out in my mind was I went to an event at a local store, but it was like States or something. So it was like a reasonably sized event. And I hadn't played, I hadn't played a competitive Magic tournament in maybe three or six months because I'd just been judging nonstop. Plus I had just started school. Plus I was now, at the time I wasn't um, dating my girlfriend yet, but we were really good friends. So I was spending a ton of time with her. And I went to this event, and I was like, I'm probably going to lose because I'm not at all prepared. I bought my deck to play with that morning. I ended up losing in the finals of that event, and I, I think I lost maybe like two matches all day. And when I came home from that event, I told my friends, I was like, this is an incredible feeling because this is the first time in a long time I've played an event where I didn't have any pressures. I didn't feel like I needed to succeed to prove something. I didn't feel like I deserved to succeed. There was nothing sort of clouding my judgment. And even though... I wouldn't say I had like a fun time at the event because I didn't have a lot of friends there. So I was just kind of playing magic. I think in terms of playing magic, I had a ton of fun because I had no other pressures. And that resulted in me, I think, succeeding because when I don't have these other pressures clogging my mind and I know that, oh, win or lose, I'm going to go home later and hang out with my friend. That made the tournament so much easier for me. And I think that's something that I've tried to emulate even now that I'm playing magic so much more often and I am trying to succeed. 
I always try to emulate that feeling that when I go to these events, it doesn't matter. Like I'm here to hang out with my friends. Like one of the things that me and my friends love doing is we always play various games in between rounds. Sometimes they're magic, but a lot of times we play other games that people might've heard of like love letter or werewolf or those types of games. And that makes magic tournaments to me so much more fun and so much more than just playing magic, because I know that win or lose, we're going to have a great time. I think something that's funny is my friend often says he loves when events get delayed, like the when they have a problem with the pairings and the rounds get de- delayed, because more time to play games. And I think that's a super interesting way of looking at things. And that's the way that I've tried to look at things in the sense that I'm not here just to play magic. I'm here to have a great time. And if I succeed in magic, that's awesome too. But if I don't, I know that I'm still having fun. And I know that when I go home, I'm still going to have a support network there. And that's really, I think, made me a much better magic player as a result too, because now I'm able to focus on things like improving my mindset and improving at being a player and picking the right decks for events because I don't have all these other pressures of like, oh, you need to play exactly this deck if you want to win, those kind of things. Do you still have difficulties managing feelings like tilt or just negative feelings and events or would you say that you have most of that under control these days i definitely think i have uh all of that under control for the most part i think like if i lose a match because i got very unlucky like things really didn't turn my way maybe i'll be upset for like five minutes but i'm not the kind of person to like go around telling a bad beat story or complaining to friends um and five or ten minutes later i'll generally be over it like it's really not a big deal i think the only time that i would and this is something that i think is really helping a lot too that i would struggle with the mindset is when i would lose incredibly important matches so in the that used to never be a problem because i just lost so much that i was never playing incredibly important matches like when it ends for top eights or whatever but now uh, that i'm improving i've had the opportunity i've played two different win and ends for top eights or grand prix I've played in uh, like two or three PTQ finals now in like the past year. I've played a lot of matches for pro points that I really needed in the last round of a Grand Prix, those kind of things. And when I lose those, it can sort of be like a tough thing to swallow because it's like, well, when am I going to get that shot again? Like that was my one chance and I blew it because I didn't play well. Because I think one of the constant themes is when I lose these important matches, it's always, I can always at least identify like one really important mistake I made and I'll tend to sort of fixate on that. Like, well, why did you make that? Like, you blew an opportunity that you had. But I think something that has been really helpful and why that doesn't bother me as much, in addition to having a good support network, is just realizing that if I am really good at magic and if I do want to succeed, these opportunities are going to come again. Like I'm going to have another chance to top eight a Grand Prix probably sometime soon if I keep playing while I'm practicing and preparing. So it's okay that maybe I made a mistake this time because I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to improve. And I think now, like, I don't have any mindset issues in magic tournaments. Like, I can't remember the last time I was at or recently went to a magic tournament and I was sad. Like, I think the closest thing is, uh, like, a few months ago, I lost the finals of a, of a PTQ at Grand Prix Hartford. And I was, like, a little disappointed in myself because I felt like I should have won the match that I lost. But even then, like, I still, right afterwards, I was playing games with my friends. I was having a good time. The car ride home, we were listening to the music we love and chatting. And so I don't have to deal with those issues anymore for the most part. And that's something I I really appreciate. And I think is why I've been trying to play so much more magic because I just love it so much now. And when you are entering these win and ends or these critical rounds, is there anything going through your mind? Because you've talked about kind of afterwards, you reflect on sometimes maybe for more than five minutes on how, what you could have done differently next time. And you have the confidence to know that there will be a next time. But when you enter these rounds, like what's going through your mind? Yeah, so I think when I enter the rounds, there's definitely like a small amount of nerves that are just like, Ooh, this is really important, like do your best. But I actually think I do a really great job about managing all of that. And I 
I always pride myself on having a super great rapport with my opponents whenever I'm playing them, regardless of how important the match is. Uh, and so what's going through my mind mostly is just you're here to do what you've been doing the rest of the day, what you've been doing for the last 10 years. You're just here to have a good time and play some magic. And maybe this match has a little bit more on the line, but in the end, like it's ultimately still the same game that you're playing. And I don't know if that's always the best because sometimes I make mistakes because maybe I'm a little sloppy because I'm not treating the match as serious as maybe I should be. But I think in the long term, it helps out because it means that I'm never going to leave a match and say, I just had a terrible time because I lost something really important to me. I always get to leave matches and say, well, I had a great time because I got to do what I set out to do, which was play magic. And so I think that that helps me approach matches without the nerves that might set a lot of other people off. And I also think one of the other things that's really helpful too is I have my friends and my girlfriend, they write on some of my basic lands that I use. Like they'll write like, oh, we believe in you, or we're always proud of you, or good luck. Or for the when I played my first Pro Tour, my friend wrote like happy first Pro Tour on one of my lands. And I use that in all of my draft decks and in my constructed deck. And to, like while I'm playing Magic, if I'm ever like behind and I start to worry, I'm like, oh, this match is really important and I'm falling behind, like where did I go wrong? I'll draw one of these lands or I'll look at it because I have it in play and it'll remind me that like this isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. Like what's important is my are my friends and my support network and the fact that I'm so grateful to be able to even play magic at all, but also to the extent that I do and to the competitive extent that I do. And that sort of washes all of the nerves away, both when I'm winning, losing, playing in important matches or otherwise. Do you have any routines at all? Like do you have to shuffle your cards a certain way? Do you have to presented a certain way do you listen to certain types of music before or during or after events i'm just curious if you have anything that you've developed over the years yeah i mean i think for me i just do so i don't have any specific rituals that are persistent throughout every magic tournament but i always try to make it a habit at a magic tournament if there's something that's specifically on my mind that's been making me happy i try to think about it a lot so like if I just went on a nice vacation with one of my friends or my girlfriend. I'll think about that like in between rounds if I'm not feeling as great or I'm having a tough time. Or if I've been listening to a lot of, I really love Taylor Swift's music. So if I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift lately and that's been making me feel good, I'll listen to Taylor Swift between rounds. And then one of the other things that I think is the biggest thing I consider a ritual is every round between magic events, I always try to meet up with my friends and play some sort of game, even if it's some simple game or if we have a little bit more time because we finished early, some more complex game. I always try to make sure that my downtime is spent doing things with friends and reminding myself why I'm here and why I love doing this. That's great. Going back a little bit, you said the second phase of your magic career was when basically your darkest time because you were 13 to 15 years old. You had people criticize you for not getting results and writing for Star City Games. I am just wondering, if you look back at that point in your life, had you ever flirted with the idea of just not playing Magic anymore? I know now you're in a great place, but if you look back on that t- period of time, was there ever were there ever times where you just thought that you could be doing something else? Yeah, I definitely think, I think one of the biggest things for me was that I was succeeding pretty well in school, I, but I also wasn't dedicating my entire time to school as much as I should have maybe getting involved with things or doing research or doing projects. Um, So I think there was definitely a period of time where I I looked at myself and I said, should I maybe be dedicating these resources to just focusing on school? Because at the time, I didn't really have any other outlets. It was kind of just school and magic were the big parts of my life. 
And so I think that's ultimately what kept me in the game is because I didn't really have much else. I played baseball a little bit, but once I got to high school, I stopped playing as much for various reasons. Uh, so I really didn't have anything else. So for me, it was like, well, I could stop playing Magic or at least tone down and focus more on school, but that really didn't sound fun or appealing to me. So that was around, I think, when I was maybe a sophomore in high school, so like 15 years old, that was when I said, okay, like, something's not right with Magic. Like, you're not you're not happy, and we need to figure that out. And it took me meeting certain people, and it took me two years, two and a half years, and I, but I did eventually figure that out. But I think what kept me in the game through that when I was upset and I told myself, like, you're really not having a great time. Why are you doing this? I think it was that um, when I was judging, like, having the money from judging was really nice, and also I didn't have anything else to go to. So I guess, like, I stuck with it out of just habit because I'd been doing it for five or six years at that point. But there were definitely some points where I had reconsidered whether it was right for me. And when you became a judge, it sounded like you were doing more of that in the past. And is there something, what are some lessons you've learned from judging magic? Anything that applies to what you're doing now? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, ultimately I would say judging wasn't for me in the sense that I just love, like even even when I didn't love playing Magic that much, I still liked playing Magic more than judging. But I, I have a ton of respect for all the people who do judge and put their time and effort in. And I did it for so long, so I have a lot of friends in the judge community. I think the thing that I take the most from judging is understanding that Magic tournaments mean different things to different people. Because I always, as a competitive player, I always saw magic tournaments from, well, this is what it means to be a competitive player, so tournaments should cater to that. Tournaments should have bigger prize payouts and should not have as many side events, because when you're a competitive player focused on the tournament, you don't need side events, things like that. And I think judging and getting to meet all these different people and be a part of all these different events and give rulings to different matches where people had different views on what was appropriate for a magic tournament given where they come from whether they're competitive or casual i think all those things really help me see that people play magic for different reasons uh people are involved in the community for different reasons people who play versus people who judge versus people who do things like cosplay or make art for the game those kinds of things and so i think that helped me be a much better judge because i was able to adjust my rulings and the way i would run tournaments to help make players have a better time regardless of where they were coming from And then as a Magic player, now that I play mostly competitively and don't really judge anymore, it's just helped me, I think, get along with a lot more people and be a lot more of a pleasant opponent to the people I play against because I understand that everybody has different goals and everybody has different reasons for being there. And it's my job as a person who cares about the success of the game to make sure they're having a great time and they're having fun. And so I want... I can't say I always do a great job because I like I am competitive and sometimes that comes out, but I always try to do my best to make sure that my opponents are at the very least not having a bad time and in most cases having a good time playing Magic because that's really important to me and that's something I got from judging. So would you say that you, in the past, you have not been as nice or accommodating to Magic players sitting across from you? Like were you were you basically colder and avoided small talk more in the past uh, as opposed to now? Absolutely. Like, I, I, I don't think there was ever a period of time where I was actively mean to a lot of my opponents or anything, but there was definitely a period of time for most of my Magic career until I started judging and then now where I was maybe a much more cold opponent and I wasn't, like you said, I didn't small talk as much or I didn't, like, I didn't do those pre-match pleasantries where you're like, oh, where are you from? Or like, why are you here? Or how many Grand Prix have you played? Like those kind of things. That was like not, not at all a part of my typical match because it was just not something I was interested in or thought was important or cared about. 
And I think um, it definitely contributed to me not enjoying Magic as much because it made it so that every given match was just a match of Magic in the tournament. It wasn't something more important than that or more fun than that. Yeah, it's an interesting scenario or set of scenarios because I'm not a spike myself. I, I mean, when I play Magic, constructed Magic, I try to do the best I can to win. But there are times where I might be sitting across from an opponent and I sense that he or she is very nervous. And because I want to win the match, I actually don't do anything to try to make them feel more relaxed. Like, for example, I don't say relax or in a non-condescending way. I might actually try to push that edge a little bit more, you know, because if I sense that they're they're nervous and I can keep them nervous somehow using legitimate ethical means, right, that... Uh, they would actually play suboptimally and therefore I would have a better chance of winning. So to me, at least, it seems like there's always a fine line for that kind of table manner. I'm just wondering if you've ever been in those situations like that, where you you maybe feel like you have to toe the line between I want to win versus I want my opponent to have a decent time. Yeah, I definitely think in terms of just rapport and like playing mind games with my opponent, those kind of things, I've never struggled with towing that line. I think the biggest place it comes up and something that I'm still trying to figure out and still wrestling with as a player is how to deal with like rules lawyering and those kind of things. Like, for example, I had a match at a at an invitational sometime earlier this year or last year, I can't remember. Uh, and basically what happened is my opponent had written the wrong life total down for what he thought he was at. And I didn't know. I had no idea that he had written the long, wrong life total down. Um, but for me, I was just like going to make the play I was going to make, given that I thought he was at nine. And so I attacked for eight damage, and my opponent said no blocks. And I was like, "Are you sure? No blocks?" And he's like, "Yeah, no blocks." I was like, "Okay, so you're, you're dead. You go to you go to zero. And he was like, "No, I, I go to one." And I had called the judge over, and the judge basically came to the conclusion that, given all the information in the situation, uh, he was supposed to be at eight, and it was his responsibility to know that, given that it's not that I knew he had made a mistake. I wasn't aware. In your mind, he was at eight, right? Yeah, in so. my mind, he was at eight, and I didn't see him right now in his life. But if I had, I would have corrected him for sure, but I didn't see that. I, I, it only came up once he said no blocks, and I was like, okay, so you're dead. And he was like, no, I go to one. And the judge ruled that, well, you're at eight, so you lose because you're taking lethal damage. But something that I could have done and that my opponent – had talked to me about and something that I knew I could have done was I could have said, well, no, like I understand the confusion. You are supposed to be at eight, but I'll let you block if you want, because you didn't know you weren't working with the right information. And something that I wrestle with when I play magic is in situations like that, should I do maybe the nice thing and say, okay, like, yeah, you were working with the wrong information, spirit of the game, you can be at eight and change your blocks. Or should I take it? Well, the judge ruled that my opponent loses, so like I want to win, so I'm going to take that. And I think back in the day when I used to play Magic a lot, when I was a lot younger, I would always just let my opponents have those, take those back. And I think I, as I got more competitive, and I, as I started to, I think some of my opponents started to take advantage of that. I started to sort of go way too far on the other end. If it's like, oh well, I'm always going to take the win, and I'm always going to be in those situations. Like another one is I was in a Grand Prix and there was a communication issue between my, me and my opponent where he didn't, even though I had tried to communicate very clearly about what phase we were in, he didn't understand and it led to him making like a really weird play that caused him to lose the game. And again, the judge sided with me, was like, well, you sh he tried to communicate clearly so you should have been aware. And in that situation and in all the other ones, I always have taken the win and then immediately been like, well, now I feel bad. Like, I don't feel like I won on the right terms. 
and I feel like I don't I didn't win my match the way that I wanted to win it and I feel like my opponent didn't have a great time because he didn't get what was he what he feels not necessarily entitled to but just didn't get to play the game the way in his view it was intended and so something that I've been trying to now find the right balance for is how often should I let my opponents sort of take like take back those situations where it was clear that there was just a communication issue or there was a nerves issue. And so that's something that I think I've had a lot of trouble with, given that my philosophy is that I want my opponents to have a great time, but also I am trying to win and do well in these magic tournaments. And it's something that I'm constantly working on improving. And after all these situations, I always talk to my friends, what would you have done here? Why? Like, what do you think is appropriate to try to get as many perspectives as possible? Yeah. And I think if you ask 99% of Magic players, they would probably side with you in terms of like if you had communicated the best way that you could within your control, key phrase being within your control and your opponent just simply misplayed or didn't understand the rules to that extent, I would think that majority of competitive Magic players would be very sympathetic to you. But I, I understand what you're saying in that it doesn't, it doesn't prevent a feel bad from either side. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and if I win, like, like in this situation where my opponent was at eight life when they thought he was at nine, like, I know, and like, I know for sure that if he knew he was at eight, he would have played the game differently. So if he was working with correct information, he would have played the game differently. And my goal, in addition to giving my opponents a great time and having fun, is I want to win Magic in the way the game should be played. And I think the way the game should be played is a very ambiguous term, and it has a lot of like uh, fuzziness in it. But for me, at least in that situation, I looking back, I would have preferred to play the game with my opponent making the correct plays. Because I don't want to win because my opponent tripped up on his life total. I want to win because I outsmarted my opponent, or even if I got luckier than my opponent, just like within the normal realms of Magic. And so not only did I feel bad because now my opponent feels terrible, but also I felt bad because it's like, well, did I really deserve that win? Or did even if I deserve it, did I get it in the way that I would have wanted to win a match of Magic? Yeah. That's definitely what makes Magic both the most rewarding game to play and also the most frustrating game to play because there's so many, it means so many things to so many different people. And in any one moment in time in a match, there's so many different ways it can go. I think that's the beauty of it. Of course, you mentioned that you're, you had written for such a long time for Star City Games and now you're writing for theepicstorm.com, which is uh, one of the decks that you play in Legacy. Can you tell me a little bit more about what it is that you've learned from the act of writing and communicating to an audience? I know that you had mentioned that you were not exactly happy with some of the writing you had done in the past, but you know, just by doing something for that long and continuing to do it, there must be some interesting stuff or learnings that came out of it, right? So I'd love for you to share some of that. Absolutely. So I think the biggest thing is I've learned how to communicate to your audience in the sense that I've recognized both. I've always been very good at writing papers in school and I've always not always been great, but I've always worked on improving my writing when I've written magic related stuff. And I've learned that it's incredibly important to know who your audience is because the magic articles that I've found I've had the most success with in terms of people receiving them really well, giving me great feedback, telling me they learned a lot from the article or really loved reading it. Those articles are the most often the ones where I took a very informal tone and I just sort of talked about a topic that I felt like I knew a decent amount about. Like with the Epic Storm, it's great because I've been playing the deck pretty much about as long as I've been playing competitive magic. So I have a ton of experience and I can sort of just throw that onto a page without even really thinking too hard about it. 
And I'll take a bit of an, an informal tone as if I'm having a conversation with somebody about the deck. Like they asked me a question and this article is how I would communicate an answer to them even if I was talking to them in person. And so that has led to great success with magic articles, especially in recent history where I really refined that. And then it's really helped with things like writing my senior thesis for college or writing uh, papers in school or communicating and other things I've had to write for because I've been able to recognize, well, for this, my audience is somebody a bit more serious or academic, so I need to take a less of an informal tone. And I've really succeeded in school papers because of that. Or in whatever I'm trying to communicate, whether it's written or speaking, I always try to consider what is the audience I'm writing to or communicating with going for and what would make them the happiest. And I think it's almost the same way that like, I approach Games of Magic now, which is I just want the person on the other side to come out of it saying that at least they did not have a bad experience and in hopefully that they had a good experience. And so that's the same way I try to communicate. And I think that has led to some of my best writing experiences as well. What would you say are the pieces of writing you've done for Magic that have maybe surprised you in terms of the feedback you've received, either good or bad? Yeah, so I think some of, so there's some like surprising feedback I received, which was when I was writing my early articles for Star City Games, I would get a lot of mixed feedback. Some people would say they loved it. Some people they would say they would hated it. But one of the things, like one of the pieces of feedback I always got was that I needed to improve my writing. And I think that was some like, and some people would be very actionable. They would say, well, here's things I think you could work on. Some people would just say, your writing sucks and you need to get better at it. <laughs> yeah, that's not very actionable. But I think that feedback, at least the actionable aspects of that feedback were always super helpful and surprising. And I think it might sound weird, like, oh, people telling you you need to get better is surprising. But I think what was surprising me is knowing that there were people who might not even know me and have probably never met me who are reading my articles and taking the time, not only for their benefit, but for mine, to tell me what I could be doing better. And that really communicated to me that there are, whatever I write that has any amount of reach to it, there are going to be people who read it and are invested in it and who care. And they're going to want to see it be better and see it improved and see it be the best it can be. And so I think that really helped me care a bit more about my writing, which is why I stopped writing for Star City Games because I felt it was important to care. And at a certain point, I started kind of phoning it in and not dedicating as much time to it as I would like. And it's like the same thing too, even now, like seven years or whatever, eight years, six years after I stopped writing, I still have people come up to me and they say, oh, I love this article series that you did forever ago when you were writing for Star City Games. And I really enjoyed reading those. I think I published it every Friday and they would tell me I really loved reading those every Friday or every other Friday. And to get that sort of feedback, just to know that people are invested and people do care about things that maybe I thought wasn't very good when I was writing it, or I thought maybe not a lot of people would find interesting or find appealing, to know that there are so many people who had at least touched them in some meaningful way is super, it just makes me super happy, but also really makes me care about and focus on my writing. I think one of the biggest impacts too is I have a friend who I mentioned was one of my best friends now who I started traveling with, his name is Abe. He is only a little bit older than me. And when he was a lot younger and he was a much more casual magic player, he would read a lot of magic content and he would read my articles. And however good he thought they were or bad he thought they were, you know, six years later when we started becoming friends, he expressed that it was really like exciting to be friends with me because he was somebody or I was somebody that he had been reading articles for six years ago. And so now to get to like hang out with me, even if my articles weren't good, like he, he I don't think he necessarily thought my articles were amazing or anything, but just to know that there was somebody out there who cared enough about and read them every week and is now really happy to be friends with me in part because of 
the content I produced that helped him learn about magic or helped him find interesting decks. All that combined just really helps me see that writing can have a really important reach and can do really great things. Even if you're writing about things that aren't that important or you're writing about things that aren't that interesting, uh, you can definitely impact some people. Yeah, and because we're in the age of the internet, I mean, the writing lives on, right? It's incredible to think about how you know, there's Abe, but there's also someone out there who you've never met and maybe never will meet who has maybe internalized a little bit of your writing and taken that to become a better magic player or think about the game differently. That's actually really powerful. And we often don't think about it, but it's there, right? Exactly. Like I also, when I was judging a lot, one of the nice things about judging is you meet judges from all over the world. Uh, You have to work directly with them and you have downtime to talk to them. And I would meet judges from like South America and this is, again, like five years after I stopped writing for Star City Games or three years, whatever the case is. I would meet judges from like South America or from like Sweden or whatever. And they would tell me like, oh, I, I've watched your feature matches. And I, I, my community, like not just me, but my community loved reading your articles when you were younger. And just to like know that there's that kind of reach. Like it's something I really appreciate about the Internet, despite maybe a lot of the, the troubles it brings. I think to have that, to know that I had that reach at such a young age and writing about something that I think is very niche and very specific, and I wasn't even writing that well about it, to have that sort of impact, I think is super amazing and super exciting for somebody who I think, especially right around that time, was dealing with a lot of confidence issues in terms of what his place was in the magic community. And how did you start writing for the epicstorm.com? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I've been playing the Epic Storm for almost as long as I've been playing competitive magic. It was the first legacy deck I picked up, and I've tried other decks along the way, but it's the only mainstay legacy deck I've been playing all this time. So Bryant Cook, the guy who invented the Epic Storm, he uh, was not from exactly my area, from a few hours away, but we played at a lot of the same tournaments. And we played it. there was this legacy tournament at this store called Jupiter Games, and every month they would run a really big legacy tournament. And we would all go to those events, and they were a really great time. So I just kind of met him, and I became good friends with him. And I think over time, he started to respect me as a really good player of the deck because he's uh, probably, besides myself, one of the few people who's dedicated so much time into the deck and so much thought, much more than I have for sure. And so he took a liking to finding somebody else who also cared that much about the deck and had been playing it for long enough that I had a lot of really engaging thoughts about it. And so when he started wanting to produce content for this website, I think I was one of the natural first people he might have reached out to because it just made sense to have somebody who has been playing the deck for a long time, who he knows really well and trusts to write things that make sense and things that players can learn from. So I think for me, it was just very natural just because I knew Bryant who started the website and built the deck. And I was somebody that he respected and trusted to be able to at least hold meaningful conversations with about it. What were your first impressions of Bryant as a player or as a person? It's funny. So when I was really, really young, uh, again, we had these legacy tournaments in my area. So a lot of the people that I grew up playing competitive magic with, even before I was around, they were going to those events and they knew Brian. And they always gave uh, like a very interesting tale of who he was because he was this guy who uh, played the same deck a lot and was very good with it. So I think he had a lot of confidence in his ability to play the deck. And so when I first met him, it was very interesting because here's this guy who definitely knows a lot more about magic than I do and has been playing it a lot longer than I have and definitely, at least at the time, cared a lot more about uh, legacy than I did. So it was very, I think, in a sense, weird because I, I felt like he was very different than me in a lot of ways. 
And so as I've gotten to know him, and as I've, I, I can't say we're like best, best friends, but I definitely think we do talk a lot and we always uh, chat at events. And as I've gotten to know him more through those experiences, I think that he is somebody who is very passionate about the things he's interested in and somebody who cares a lot about, particularly with the Epic Storm, but also the other things I've seen him dedicate himself to, he cares a lot about succeeding and being really good at it. And I think that's something that's definitely admirable and something that I think has kept me communicating with him and being friends with him beyond just that we share a deck in common. I think he, I I really admire the amount of effort and work that he puts into these things. I think it's not easy these days to find someone who is so dedicated to a particular thing or a particular craft, whether it's a legacy deck or anything really. And so I, I feel like Brian is one of those people who really has a respect for the game and also cares deeply about the deck and making it as good as possible and is willing to have to build a community around it. So that's why I asked you the question, because it, he just seems like someone who or not seems he is someone who, who really cares about the craft. Absolutely. And I think something that I've always tried to do as much as we've been talking about the deck and about the community he's trying to build, I always, because of that, I I do try to be a little bit critical of like the way he communicates or the way that he um, handles the community, because I think he does a great job, much better than I could ever imagine doing and much better than I would ever be willing to dedicate to. And I think because he cares about that, I've always tried to be sort of a competing voice in like, well, have we considered this? Or like, is this something we could look at? And I think it's something I enjoy doing because of how much he dedicates to it. I I enjoy that I get to be a part of that. And that's a really great opportunity to know that this community that he's fostered, he trusts me to at least have a small part of it and control a small part of it. Yeah, for sure. And I know you've touched on a little bit, but what really is the draw for you when it comes to playing the Epic Storm? Because it's not an easy deck to play. I played it from time to time. I'm sure many legacy Magic players have. Like, What keeps you coming back to it as opposed to perhaps some of the other powerhouse decks in the format? Sure. So I think there's two different answers to that. The first one is that uh, it's a sense of familiarity and comfort because I think Mad uh, Legacy in particular is a format that very, very much rewards knowledge with your deck. Like right now, I think most people would say Grixis Delver is the best deck and I I couldn't imagine picking it up and playing it because I know that I'm just going to be worse than a lot of the other people who have so much experience with it. And so... Something that keeps me going with the Epic Storm is that I just know it so well. I feel like I do sometimes forget, like it's kind of like riding a bike. Like you'll never really forget, but maybe the first time you get on a bike after a while, you'll like struggle a little bit for a second. That's kind of like me with the Epic Storm. Like I won't play it for a few months and then I'll need to like remember a few things. But for the most part, I have a, a large amount of comfort and familiarity with the deck. And so to learn anything else at this point, especially to that proficiency, I think would require so much work. And given that I think Legacy is a format that doesn't receive a ton of support anymore in terms of like competitive play, which is what I try to focus on, like Grand Prix and SCG Opens, um, it, there's just not a lot of incentive for me to learn anything new. And then on the same token, the other answer I would say why I still play the Epic Storm is that it very much appeals to what I like to do as a player, which is I like to solve puzzles. And I think every game of Magic is a puzzle to be solved. However, I think the Epic Storm is a very unique puzzle and that a lot of times all of the pieces are right in front of you. And rather than having to like rely on like, well, if I draw these things, then I'll need to plan for this game to go this way. And if that happens, then I'll need to adjust. Like you have a pretty straightforward game plan that you're trying to enact, but you have a lot of different ways in which you can enact it. And I think 
that sort of puzzle of trying to figure out what the best way to go about it is and these very small optimization problems of like how can I make sure when I'm comboing that I play the best around these counter spells while leaving myself with one extra mana. Those kind of like very specific uh, puzzle-like actions are something that I really appeals to me and I enjoy doing. And I always love when other people present situations that they find challenging because then I get to just think about a whole new puzzle. And I think that's super interesting and super engaging and very much matches with how I like to approach both magic but also just problems in general. Right. There's actually a series on the Epic Storm website, Infernal Tutoring, right, where you guys take a common scenario and different players, such as yourself, actually try to figure out how you would play out the situation. And that, to me, epitomizes the deck or playing the deck being a puzzle. <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah, like the fact, like, I, I, a lot of times I've been playing a lot of team events lately, and I've mostly been playing Modern for my team. And my good friend Jonathan, he plays Legacy for us, and he plays Grixis Delver. And I enjoy watching him play. Like it's, I think he's incredible at playing the deck. He does an amazing job. He pilots it much different than I think most other people do. And I think it's a treat to watch. But I, I know that I, it would take a lot of practice for me to be able to do the same thing because the games are a lot more like contextual and like long-term based. Like he'll go and he'll be, he'll tell me why he chose not to play Deathrite Shaman on turn one. And it's this whole laundry list of things of like, well, here's how I view my role in the matchup and the context and what my hand suits me for and what I expect the game to look like in 20 turns and how I can leverage that advantage. Whereas for me, it's not that that's necessarily like a harder thing inherently than playing the Epic Storm. My puzzles are just much more concentrated. My puzzles are like right now, these two or three turns are where the action is going to happen. And so I don't have a lot of room for error. I don't, I can't make a mistake on one turn and say, Oh, I'll pick it back up in four. I'll get that. I'll pick up that advantage back up over time. It's all right now. I need to play as perfectly as possible to increase my win percentage and i'm not going to have a lot of time to fix it if i make a mistake yeah that makes a lot of sense it seems like at some point i'll have to talk to jonathan as well that's jonathan sukenik is that right exactly yeah he's i he's who i would consider one of if not my best friend outside of my girlfriend who he just loves magic and he's a very big student of the game is the way we like to put it because he just loves studying improving uh, he never takes results for granted. And so I think that mindset has really had a major impact on me growing as a player and me becoming who I am now, uh, because I think it's just super refreshing just the way he plays magic. And I think he's even much better when I say I like to make sure my opponents are having a good time. I think I wouldn't say I learned that from him, but I definitely have improved that skill from him because I think he even takes that one step further. Like it actively like will make him upset to some extent if he feels like he wasn't a pleasant opponent in certain situations. And so to know like that I have a friend who shares a lot of my same philosophies but takes them one step further and I think as a result has seen a lot more success in the game than I have, I he's an amazing person that to call a friend and also somebody that I can learn from and consider a mentor as well. And I'm so I consider very fortunate that I get to travel with him to almost every event we go to. That's really interesting because it's not often you associate magic grinders with being nice people, really. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that even people who don't know him very well, one thing that everyone knows about him is that he's an incredibly nice person and an incredibly great resource for Magic uh, because he's also been playing, I, I don't know, for like 15 or 20 years, some very large number. So he has like a ton of knowledge. He's been around for a very long time. He's been, his first Pro Tour was 10 years ago and now he still plays on the Pro Tour today. Like th those kind of things, like seven or 10 years ago, whatever the case is, he's just been around for a long time and he, he has a lot of perspectives that I think 
have changed over time, similar to me, in that we both had times where we thought maybe our relationship with Magic wasn't great or that we maybe weren't pleasant opponents to play against. And I think we've both tried to improve that. And so to have somebody who I consider my best friend to be able to travel with and do that with uh, is just a very pleasant experience. And I think to have somebody who's as well-respected in the community as him, which is something that I would also like to be and strive to be, is super helpful too. That's great. Just looking forward, what are your immediate goals when it comes to magic or, or life? Actually, let's start with the magic goals. Like, what are your immediate magic goals maybe in the next one to two years? Sure. So I have two big goals that are sort of prescient in my mind, which is one, I want to start playing the Pro Tour more regularly. And that's not, for me, that doesn't come from a sense of like, oh, I want to be great. And like, so I need to be on the Pro Tour to prove I'm awesome. It was just that the one Pro Tour I did get to play was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had because I think the Pro Tour um, maybe could be run better in whatever ways, but it is still an amazing magic tournament. It's incredibly fun to play, and I think it is the opportunity to test myself the most because it's where I'm playing against the highest density of good players. Like at the one Pro Tour I played against, I played against like multiple Platinum Pros, I think one or two Hall of Famers, multiple Gold Pros. Like It was just a really great experience to have that sort of highest level of competition. And I think something I loved about the Pro Tour too was I don't think I've ever played a Magic tournament where as many of my opponents were as nice and as friendly. And I wasn't sure what to expect when going into the Pro Tour because I figured that, well, this is where people are the most competitive. There's so much money on the line. People are, there's so many pro points on the line. And I think I had maybe one opponent all weekend who I would say maybe gave me a mediocre experience. And I had some of my favorite matches to ever play. Like I got to play against um, Simon Nielsen and he was an incredibly fun opponent. I ended up beating him and I got kind of lucky to beat him. And through the whole time, he was just incredibly fun. We had a great report. It was incredibly enjoyable to play against him. I played against Li Shi Tian, who was incredibly fun. Even though there was like a big language barrier between us, we were still able to like make jokes and have an interesting rapport between ourselves during our match. And I think that experience was just so incredible that I want to get back to that because to know that, that that's what's out there and that's what I could be doing is something that's really appealing to me. And it is an opportunity, I think, to, again, test myself at one of the highest levels of the game. Uh, so that's definitely one thing that's very prescient. I work really hard in terms of, I mean, I think I could work harder, but I do try to work hard in terms of preparing and thinking about the game to try to get back on the Pro Tour. And then I think the other big goal I have is just to be a positive influence in the community. I think something that has made that hard over time, because that's something I've cared about for a while, is that I don't have a ton of big results to back my name up. Like I don't have, I haven't won a ton of opens, or I haven't topped in multiple Grand Prix, or I haven't seen a, a lot of success in the Pro Tour. And I think it's natural for Magic players to look at the people who've had a lot of success. But I think people like, for example, I think Jonathan's a great person because he's had some amount of success and he's done pretty well, but he also hasn't had like, he doesn't have a laundry list of amazing accomplishments, but people in the community still look up to him and still really care about his opinion. And people who I know who are platinum or gold pros look at him and they care about what he has to say about the game because they know he's well thought out and he's a respectful person to talk to. And so my goal is to sort of reach a similar thing. Like I want people to be able to look at me and think I'm somebody that they can look up to or get good advice from or learn from because even though I think I'm comparatively younger than a lot of the people that I play with in terms of age like I'm 20 and I'm playing against people who are you know 25 30 40 there are a large number of people younger and older than me who haven't been playing magic for nearly as long as I have they they're maybe three years into the game and so I want to be somebody that they can look at and say well he's been around for you know nine years been playing for so long I can learn a lot from him or I can 
um, respect him when we play. And I know that I want people to come to a match and sit down knowing that they're going to have a great time because they've heard that about me. And so to be able to have that sort of positive influence on the community uh, is also, I think, what keeps me writing for a website like the Epic Storm, because like even though I'm not necessarily getting paid for those articles, I know that I get to help a new generation of Storm players who I everything they're learning and they're living through, I've lived through like eight times over. And to know that I can help them and introduce them to the deck and make have them enjoy it and learn it in a very fun way is something I really try to accomplish from that, with my articles. And so that's sort of my other ancillary goal, which is a lot more abstract and hard to figure out how I'm going to achieve that necessarily. But it's definitely something that I'm working on. Yeah, but I think you're definitely making a difference, you know, just for taking the time to talk to me, that it's been incredible just talking to you for the past hour or so. But also, I've enjoyed your writing on the Epic Storm. I don't play the Epic Storm as much as I used to, but I really enjoy good quality magic content when I see it or when I listen to it or read it. And so I, I think what you're doing is really, you're, you're one of the more articulate writers on the site, if I may say so. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I do try my best to accomplish. I think that's something I didn't always do with my articles, especially when I was writing for Star City Games. But now it's something I try really hard. And I'll actually like something I kind of regret, but I'm not super upset about is that sometimes it takes me a little while to push an article out. Like Bryant will tell me he would like it if I could have this done, you know, beginning of May. And then he'll be lucky if he gets it by like the third week in May. The reason for that is just that I try to make sure that what I'm writing is communicating in an effective way, that I'm being a good writer for my audience, and that I'm writing something that people will enjoy, regardless of whether they play the Epic Storm or not, or whether it, like even somebody who's just new to magic. Like I want it to be something they can read and say like, wow, that, like this is really awesome. I enjoyed reading this and I, I learned something. And so I think to do that right, at least for me personally, it takes a little bit of time. I think I'm very good at making up things on the spot and BSing things, and that's not what I want for my magic articles. So I take a little more time maybe than I should have, and I maybe don't write as frequently as I would like, but I think it ends up producing greater results in the end. What about your non-magic goals? Do you have anything coming up like in the next one to two years that you're really going to be focusing on? So I'm starting a new job in September. I'm going to be working as an options trader in New York, which is super exciting for me because it's what I've wanted to do at least for the past few years, I knew that was what I definitely wanted to go into and what I wanted to do. And so to be able to do that right out of college is an amazing experience. And I think that's going to be eating up the bulk of my time just because it's a very time intensive job and I have a lot to learn. So my goal is going to be to get as good at that as I can, because it's what I'm going to love doing. And it's what I want to do and I want to get good at. And there's a lot of upside if I do, if I am good at it. So I think in terms of like very short term, like that's my goal is to focus on that job and be as good at that as possible. I think long-term, like focusing like a little bit past that and more generally, I think I really want to, and this again applies the same with the long-term and magic as well, is I really want to make a difference. And so I'm constantly looking for ways, and it's something I wish I did more of now, and something I try to look for ways to do more of now, Is but I definitely want to be working on doing it at some point, is I want to be in a position where I feel like I can help people. Because one of the things that I will say I don't like about being a trader uh, is that your job isn't really, you don't really spend time helping people very much. You're kind of just like sit at a computer and you're working with your team and you're trying to make money, but you're not like necessarily, at least directly, improving people's lives. And that's something that I think long-term I would really like to be able to do is be in a position where I feel like I can improve the lives of individuals or the lives of people that live around me or the lives of people in my community, whatever the case is. That's definitely a long term is just finding 
what I think is the best way for me to apply my skills and do something like that. Yeah, that sounds great. And I just have to share a little bit of learning here. The way I would think about it is that everything that you're doing now or had done in the past is always something to build yourself up for the next thing. So anything you're doing now, whether it's options trading or playing magic, that can always be applied to something later on that may ultimately be more meaningful for you. So don't ever discount any experiences or skills that you're picking up now because you never know when they will be useful to you in some other future endeavor, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I think one of the skills that I have been working on improving throughout my entire life and something that I've always had an affinity for is trying to be a good problem solver. And so I think whatever the time frame is, I want to look back on my life and say, here's everything I've learned about solving problems. And maybe they've been very specific problems in like games or in trading, whatever it is. But I know that I can use those skills to solve maybe more what I would consider important problems or more pressing problems. And that's definitely something that I want to look for because I want, I think I, I think I might have said this a lot throughout the interview, but I consider myself like very fortunate or very lucky to have the support networks I have and to have had the life that I have. And so I want to be able to take that and take what I've become good at as a result of that and be able to give that back to the communities around me, both in and outside of Magic. What advice would you give to someone who is thinking about playing in their first competitive Magic tournament? What would you tell him or her? Sure. So I think what I would tell them is that remember why you're here. And I think my inclination would be to say, oh, well, you're here to have fun, so make sure you're having fun. But I think more importantly than that, because not everyone's goals are the same, is just remember why you're at that Magic tournament. Because if you're at that Magic tournament to win, try to remember what winning really means. Because I think it's very easy to get caught up in any individual Magic tournament and say, like, winning to me means I have to come in first place in this event. Whereas really, like, if your goal is to be a good Magic player and to succeed, I think winning means a lot more than that. And it's a lot more about self-improvement and learning and about having a good time so that you don't get burnt out while you're playing Magic and trying to improve. Because I've known numerous people who want to be great Magic players, but because that caused them to focus on individual results, two or three years in, they were burnt out because they weren't seeing those results. And so, well, why were they here? And so if your goal is to be a successful Magic player in tournaments, then remember that and make sure you're doing the things that are right for that and be very self-reflective. If your goal is to be here to have fun, make sure that you're actually having fun and that you're doing the things that both most encourage that. If your goal is to uh, hang out with your friends and that's why you play Magic, then make sure you're actually hanging out with your friends. Like It's easy when you're at a Magic tournament and the rounds take a long time and you're playing a slower deck to get caught up in the tournament, but if you're there to hang out with your friends, make sure that you're taking time to do that. Because I think the easiest way to make Magic a bad experience is if you forget why you're doing it and as a result you do the wrong things. Like I was doing when I was younger. I was when I went through that sort of second phase, I was forgetting why I was playing Magic and it was causing me to focus on the wrong things and it caused me to almost want to quit or get very burnt out on Magic. And so I think if you're going to be just starting and you're going to your first Grand Prix, your first SCG Open or whatever the case is, just remember why you're playing because I think that's what will keep you playing 10 or 20 years from then and that's what will make sure you can look back on your time at Magic and say, I had an amazing time and I wouldn't change it for anything in the world because I accomplished or at least work towards accomplishing what I was trying to accomplish. And that's what I think has been most successful for me. And that's what's made me so happy and recently successful in Magic now because I've just been very focused on what my goals are and what I'm trying to get out of Magic. That's a great answer. And so AJ, I'm super happy that we had this conversation today about mindset, Magic, and everything in between. 
had a great time talking to you. Uh, I hope you feel the same. And I hope that we can do this again sometime. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Any Anytime you want to talk, I'm happy to because I love to, again, I want to be a positive force in the community and I want to help people out. So any way I can do that, you let me know. <laughs> That's great. And uh, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, I think on Facebook, I'm pretty easy to find. AJ Kerrigan. Uh, uh, you probably have a lot of mutual friends with me. Uh, so contact me on there. I love responding to new players, or experienced players, whatever the case is. If you send me a message, I'll do my best to respond because I love chatting. Uh, so just shoot me a message on Facebook and I'm happy to respond and happy to chat. And if any questions you have or any comments, just definitely let me know. All right. So uh, best of luck to you and we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity.